Going to start my third episode here. Well, I promised I would talk about dividend aristocrats in the last session. I will. But I'm also going to talk a little bit about my retirement and my experiences with that at our word. But first, as I promised, let's talk about dividend aristocrats. First, what exactly is a dividend, first of all? And why do we pay them? Well, dividends are payments to the holder of a stock paid out from the profits of a company. A dividend is the distribution of reward from a portion of the company's earnings and is paid to a class of its shareholders. Dividends can be issued as cash payments, as shares of stock, or other property, Through cash, although cash dividends are the most common. Along with individual companies, there are various mutual funds and uh, exchange-traded funds, as they call them, ETF, that also pay dividends. At times, companies may still make dividend payments even when they don't make suitable profits. They may do so to maintain their established track record of making regular dividend payments. The board of directors can choose to issue dividends over various time frames and with different payout rates. Dividends can be paid at a scheduled frequency like monthly or quarterly or annually. For example, Procter & Gamble pays theirs quarterly. Unilever pays theirs quarterly. Additionally, companies can also issue non-recurring special dividends, either individually or to an addition to a scheduled in addition to a scheduled dividend. And that's usually backed by a strong business performance and an improved financial outlook. You know, Microsoft, as an example, declared a special dividend of $3 a share several years ago, which was way above the usual quarterly dividends. Dividend-paying companies are usually larger, established companies with more predictable profits, and they're often the best dividend payers. These companies tend to issue regular dividends as they seek to maximize shareholder wealth in ways aside from the normal growth of the company's stock. Companies in the following industry sectors are observed to be maintaining a regular record of dividend payments, and that's basic materials, oils and gas, banks, financials, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and utilities. Companies structured as MLPs or Master Limited Partnerships or REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, and we'll talk about REITs a little bit more later, are also top dividend payers since they are designate, their designations require them to pay the distributions to the shareholders. As an example, in the IERT, by law, they got to give 90% of their profits in the form of dividends. So why do companies pay dividends? Well, for a variety of reasons. I mean, these reasons can have different implications and interpretations for investors. Uh, dividends are expected by the shareholders as a reward for trust in the company and the company management. And the company management aims to honor that sentiment by delivering a robust track record of dividend payments. A high-value dividend declaration can indicate that the company is doing well and has generated good profits. But it can also indicate that the company does not have suitable projects to generate better returns. Therefore, it is utilizing its cash to pay shareholders instead of reinvesting into its growth. If a company has a long history of past dividend payments, reducing or eliminating the dividend amount may signal to investors that the company could be in trouble. Uh, the announcement of a 50% decrease in dividends from General Electric uh, back in 17 uh, was accompanied by a decline of almost 7% in their stock price. I mean, when you do that, you're going to get hammered. I don't believe GE's paying any dividends at all right now. I'd have to look. So a reduction in the dividend amount or a decision against making any dividend payment may not necessarily translate into bad news about a company, 
It may be possible that the company's management has better plans for investing the money given its financials and operations. For example, the company's management may choose to invest in a high-return project that has the potential to magnify returns for shareholders in the long run compared to what some might call a small gain through a dividend payment. Well, not all companies pay dividends. I invest in the ones that do, for the most part, because it gives me a stream of income. First, I consider the dividend aristocrats. There's criteria uh, for being in the membership of the dividend aristocrats. And the first one is you have to be a member of the S&P 500. The second one, as I've said many times now, you have increased dividends every year for at least 25 consecutive years. So dividend aristocrats are companies that have been paying increasing dividends for the last 25 years uh, to the owners of a stock on a specific date. These companies pay you to own their stock, and they've been paying them for 25 years and increasing them for at least 25. There are several companies on this list that have been doing this for over 60 years. That really is a good hedge against inflation as well. In 2019, there were, uh, or there are, excuse me, 57 companies on the list, and none were removed from 2018. Uh, there were four new additions this year as they hit the magical 25-year mark. Uh, for your info, they were Caterpillar, Chubb Limited, People's United Financial, and United Technology. Again, this list is very easy to obtain. You simply Google dividend aristocrats, and they'll be there. You'll recognize many of these stocks, Clorox, Procter & Gamble, Lowe's, Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, Target, just to name a few. And there'll be some on there that you won't uh, recognize, but they're easy to research to find out what their business is about. The number of dividend aristocrats changes, too. The list was first published in 1989 when there were 26 companies on the list. Seven of those 26 still remain. There are, again, names you'll recognize a few, Procter & Gamble, Coke, Johnson & Johnson. In 2001, it peaked at 64 companies. Of course, dividends are not guaranteed, and the increases at times can be small, but over time, it generates income. If you're young, you reinvest it. If you're retired like me, I need the money to live on. Bottom line, it's no small feat to be on this list. These are great companies, and they have been for a long time. So this is the short list I start to pick stocks. Second, in considering buying a stock, I really like to understand the business. I'm pretty sure it was Warren Buffett who said he likes to buy businesses he understands. Now, you can miss out on a lot of great companies over time, but in terms of starting out, I think it's great counsel. Another one of my Warren Buffett nuggets is you can't time the market. Nobody can see the future of the next day. For you baseball fans, Yogi Berra, the great baseball philosopher, once said, quote, it's tough to predict what's going to happen next, especially in the future, unquote. I love that one. So buying dividend stocks, including the aristocrats, is a great way to go in this low rate in interest rate environment. You know, in 2019, the yield from banks or bonds is so low, I'd rather have a 2 to 3% dividend from one of these solid companies. They're safe, solid, they generate income, and if the stock goes up in price, you know, you're still collecting your dividend, and it's a, it's a big win for you. If the stock goes down in price, you hold on, and you still reap the dividends. I know reinvesting dividends is the great way to do it, and I tell my 29-year-old son to do that because he doesn't need the cash right now. Well, I, he'd probably argue with that. but And I'd say of the 20 stocks I own at this time, I have three or four that are aristocrats. Uh, I have other stocks, and they all still pay dividends, and they're all good companies. I just usually don't own a stock that won't pay a dividend. After I pick a stock, a dividend stock, I go to a website called nasdaq.com. That's N-A-S 
dac.com. Tons of information there. I really go there for one reason. This website will have the dividend track record, and that's what I want to see, particularly for those that are not on the aristocrat list. I look at how long the company has been paying dividends and how much. In the how much arena, I look at whether they are increasing their dividends over time or decreasing them. Are they erratic in that they pay 25 uh, cents a share as an example, one quarter, then 75 cents a share the next? I like to see a consistent growth or at least static over time. Decreasing dividends over time is a watch out for me and usually I, I won't buy that stock. One last thing to consider when looking at dividend paying stocks is how much of the profit of the company are they paying in dividends. It's called the dividend payout ratios. Easy to find in Yahoo again and this will give you an idea if the dividend is sustainable. Too high and the dividend might be reduced or eliminated. Older companies and more sustained companies will have a higher dividend payout ratio than newer companies, and they'll have lower ones. And that's because they usually, the newer companies use their cash to invest more into the company. For me, bottom line, stay away from dividend ratios that are over 100% because that means they have to borrow money to pay the dividends, and I think we know that's not sustainable. And then this is usually a pretty good way for a stock to get hammered too when they get into that arena. So there's your start. Google dividend aristocrats, pick a few stocks you would like to consider purchasing, take a look at nasdaq.com to check on their dividend paying history. And you got a really good start and basis for all the subjects we'll talk about next. So I'm going to move on to another subject now and it's I'm going to talk a little bit about retirement. So for those that aren't interested, you can just go to the end of this and and uh, that'll be it for today. And the next time we'll talk about P.E. ratios. Now, I'm not trying to talk anybody to, into hanging up, but here's the deal. This is my story about retirement. And you, you may like it, you may not, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So, you know, where do I start? My whole working life, retirement was the goal. The earlier, the better. And with my company leaving at 55 years old is a pretty reasonable goal. So that really was my goal from day one with that company. I always said that time is more important to me than money. And when I hit my quote unquote magic number, you know, the magic number you work on to figure out if you have enough. Problem is that the magic number is really a myth because there's just so many expense variables that are in the future that you just can't see. So I worked for this company. I traveled for the company running through life on a hamster wheel and counting the years until I finally get there. Retirement. It reminds me of my favorite poem by Robert Hastings. And I, if you bear with me, I'm going to read it to you. Here it goes. Tucked away in our subconscious minds is an idyllic vision. We see ourselves on a long, long trip that almost spans the continent. We're traveling by passenger train and out the windows we drink in the passing scene of cars on nearby highways, of children waving at a crossing, of cattle grazing on a distant hillside, of smoke pouring from a power plant, of row upon row of corn and wheat, of flatlands and valleys, of mountains and rolling hills, of biting winter and blazing summer and cavorting spring and docile fall. But uppermost in our minds is the final destination. On a certain day at a certain hour, we will pull into the station. There will be bands playing, there will be flags waving, and once we get there, so many wonderful dreams will come true. So many wishes will be fulfilled and so many pieces of our lives finally will be neatly fitted together like a completed jigsaw puzzle. How restlessly we pace the aisles, damning the minutes for loitering, because we're waiting, waiting, and waiting for the station. 
However, sooner or later we must realize there is no one station, no one place to arrive at once and for all. The true joy of the life of life is the trip. The station is always a dream. It constantly outdistances us. When we reach the station, that will be it, we cry. Translated, that means when I'm 18, that will be it. When I buy a new 450 SL Mercedes-Benz, that will be it. When I put my last through college, that will be it. When I have paid off the mortgage, that will be it. When I win a promotion, that will be it. When I reach the age of retirement, that will be it. I shall live happily ever after. Unfortunately, once we get it and get there, it, then it disappears. The station somehow hides itself at the end of an endless track. Relish the moment is a good motto, especially when coupled with Psalm 118.24, which says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It isn't the burdens of today that will drive men mad. Rather, it is the regret over yesterday or fear of tomorrow. Regret and fear are twin thieves who rob us of today. So stop pacing the aisles and counting the miles. Instead, climb more mountains, eat more ice cream, go barefoot, swim more rivers, watch more sunsets, laugh more and cry less. Life must be lived as we go along. The station will come soon enough. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans, a show about interesting and quirky human behavior. We bring humor, empathy, and warmth to topics such as relationships, dating, work, self-compassion, weddings, phobias, aging parents, travel mishaps, death, and many more. Ever wonder what happens at a cuddle party? We talk about it. Free-range kids in restaurants? We've got some thoughts. Bedtime stories for adults? We're on it. Light, fun, unscripted conversation and personal stories. Please join us by clicking the link in the show notes. At the risk of being corny, I love that poem. It really speaks to me. Anyway, so I always told people, you know, you retire because you're tired. And that was it for me. I was tired. I had a passion for managing people, but the corporate, I call it hoo-ha, was just getting to be too much. I was tired. My dad passed away in January of 2012. And in fact, I was working in Honolulu the night he passed. I managed several people in Western states and I was in hotel rooms and airplanes for over 25 years to the tune of 100 plus nights a year. I had so many canceled flights, delays, crawling back to the west from the east, different time zones every week. Let me tell you, that stuff was exhausting. Then there was a defining moment for me. I had, you know, again, close to 30 years with the company and I was still grieving over my father, like everybody does when a key person in your life passes. I always said, I'm not the first person to lose a father, but I'm the first one to lose my father. It had an impact on me. It honestly kind of surprised me. So I was attending a full week corporate sales meeting uh, in Florida. I, I honestly can't remember where. There were salespeople from all over the country. I, I would say there was about 150 people there, mostly managers. I've been to so many of these types of meetings over my career, big meeting rooms and breakouts and buffet meals and glass and marble hotels all over the country. This one was really no different. I, I was different. My state of mind was different. My boss at the time was a VP, and she was running this particular meeting. And I guess about the only thing I can say is she was a tool. 
Uh, she was the most unqualified person I've ever seen in, in a position that high. Frankly, she was a bully. She would publicly humiliate people for their phone not being silenced and ringing in the meeting room or, or coming in 30 seconds late to the meeting. I mean, she would humiliate people by bringing them up to the stage in front of all those people and make them dance or sing. If a phone rang in the audience, she'd jump down off the stage and go to the audience to try to find them. She'd delay the meeting for 10 minutes to just find that offender. Everybody was terrified of her. I'd walk down the hall during a break, just pretend to be on the phone so she'd leave me alone. Honestly, I've always had a theory about people at that level that were bullies. I think they were like that to mask the fact that they were in over their heads. If they made people afraid, then people would simply kiss their butt and ask no questions. It worked. I and most others steer clear of her, with the exception of a few of the butt kissers. Let me be clear, though. She was not the reason I retired. I've seen many of, of many people like her in the company over my career. She was just the one that put the tired and retired for me. I was just done. I knew it at the time. And in fact, I told my best corporate buddy, I'll never come back to this annual meeting again. I'll call him sick. I'll be on vacation. I'm not coming back ever. Not going to happen. I honestly didn't know how, but I knew down in my bones it to be true. I knew it was time to start thinking about my financial life after corporate life. You know, this obvious questions, do I have enough money to last an early retirement? I honestly wasn't worried about what I was going to do in retirement because, as I said, I just didn't want to do this anymore. I do want to take a, make a side point here, though. Don't ever leave a company because of a boss, in my opinion, at least big corporations. Most likely that boss will change and you're going to get a new one. I don't know how many bosses I had in 30 years. I probably had 30. I've had good ones. I've had bad ones. You enjoy the good ones and you survive the bad ones. In fact, I would say learn from the bad ones. L learn how you don't want to be when you're a manager. I'm sure everybody has a retirement story that it retired when it happened. And I knew I had a corporate skill set, but it wasn't like I was a surgeon or a lawyer, fireman. I, I didn't really impact anybody's life. I've always said that, you know, people with advanced degrees and training, it must be very difficult to pull the trigger in retirement because they have so many years of school that was probably very expensive and they've got a very strong practical skill set. But I walked away pretty easily. It actually was more like running rather than walking away. I understood that, you know, one person in an organization of 110,000 wasn't going to be missed. You know, my philosophy was put my hand in a bucket of water and take it out and that's how much you'll be missed. Uh, anyway, it wasn't easy to leave, but I was ready. Now, I just needed the opportunity to leave. Our company, so many times in my career, and many of those times there would be options to leave early. Uh, so a couple months after that meeting, the company announced another redesign. I, I, it was like hitting a lottery for me. In corporate America, they're always redesigning the company. In fact, it seemed like constant redesigning. They never give an organization or a reorganization a chance to even work before they start reorganizing it again. Well, every five years or so, the employee base would get bloated and they've said they needed to redesign, but I think he even called it a couple times. They called it right-sizing. Some corporate slogan, but if they were honest, it was a trim the herd. So as I said, we had about 110,000 employees and they were giving packages to a certain group of people. Such a magical corporate word for corporate employees if you qualify with years of service and age because you get full retirement benefits. It got to the point in this company that if you left and retired without a package, it was kind of crazy. We also got a lot of benefits to help us. And I mentioned one before, but in transition, retraining, financial um, counsel, et cetera. Honestly, a very fair and considerate package. 
not many people did retire without one. I have heard recently, though, from some old friends that are still there that the company's trying to change the culture. Of course they are, because packages cost too much money. Well, to make a long story longer, I opted in for the package, but they still had to be approved. There was really no reason I wouldn't get it because I was in my 50s. I was 56, 55 at the time. I was eligible for retirement, and I had an old guy salary and large percentage of profit share, and I'm the type of guy they really want to leave. But wait, in true corporate fashion, they then tell us there will be no packages. They changed their mind. And in fact, in one conference call, a high-level manager said, well, why do you think you deserve a package? My thoughts were, what the hell? I didn't ask for one. You offer one. I said, yes. Well, that was a devastating day because once you get your retirement mindset, it's pretty tough to transition back to that grind. But as corporate America would do it, I got really lucky and they changed their mind again. Yeah, I hadn't seen 30 years of them not change their mind over stuff, but the packages we didn't deserve were approved. Honestly, one of the best days of my life. I was in a bar in Portland, Oregon with one of my sales managers after a long sales day and I knew my boss was going to find out that day and I begged him to tell me over the phone. And he did. And we had a celebration that night. But wait, what? I had 60 days to wrap it up and then I was gone. You know, I don't honestly know why I put all that in this podcast. I guess kind of because corporate America just isn't and wasn't very easy. It was always pushing a big rock up a big hill. But I always said when I retired, I'm just going to turn out the lights and go home. I didn't need a parade, a party, or plaques, or any acknowledgement. I really worked for my family, and my team was, I loved my team. They were spread out across the country, but in the West. But I didn't want to bother them, and they had business and work to do. They didn't need to, you know, pay homage to my retirement. I never did think of my self-worth in terms of what I did for a living. It was really a means to an end, and now the end was here. Since I worked out of my home office with no one to say goodbye to, my wife was grocery shopping. They'd already picked up the company car and I'd shipped my computer and other supplies laying around the office back to the regional office. I sat at my desk and I turned out the light and I said to myself, I'm officially retired, gone, I'm my own, no paycheck. First time in my life, even as a young kid that I didn't have a paycheck. Oh no, man, I hope I know what I'm doing. After my year's salary runs out, I'm on my own and it'll be run out quick because after taxes, they take a big chunk. So I'm retired. I got one stock that I own. And it's all in the company I just retired from. So where do I go from here? I need an income. So I need to buy stocks that will pay me a dividend to own it. Where did I start? The dividend aristocrats. Thanks for bearing with me uh, on that story. Uh, I'll end the session with the next topic. And that's going to be price to earnings ratio. It's the second metric I look at before I decide to buy a stock. Is commonly referred to as a P.E. ratio. And what that helps you understand is whether a stock is priced right, underpriced, or overpriced. That's what we'll talk about in the next session. I hope you're there for it. Stay tuned. God bless and have a great day.